last several weeks, I have been talking about well, you know topics related to being in community. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Gary to pass out a sheet. Uh, one of the things that is critical in any community is service. Uh, it's extremely important that people are willing to serve. And one of the things I'm always excited about is that people in our community do serve. I think that uh, it's a value that we have. People serve in different ways. Uh, last uh, Sunday, uh, uh, many people came out and helped to clean this place. It was great. And there were guys and girls. It was very good to see so many guys come out and help. So for all those of you who came out, I want to thank you. In a couple of weeks, we're actually going to have a Shabbat service dedicated to uh, thanking those and recognizing those who serve in a variety of ways in the congregation. Service is critical for a community to function. People have to use their gifts and abilities willingly if the congregation is to be all God wants it to be. This morning I would like to take some time to discuss that very topic, the topic of what it means to be in community and what it means to serve in community. And so we're going to be turning in our scriptures to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. With me, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Again, I've given this message before, but I imagine every one of us could use a refresher now and again. And I want to read an uh, a, um, illustration of service, interesting service. Uh, a lot's been written on this guy. I actually read a, an extensive article on this fellow by the name of Harry Hopkins, a very important person in the Roosevelt in, in, in the life of uh, President Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt's closest advisor during much of his pre presidency was a man named Harry Hopkins. During World War II, when his influence with Roosevelt was at its peak, Hopkins held no official cabinet position. Moreover, Hopkins' closeness to Roosevelt caused many to regard him as a shadowy, sinister figure. As a result, he was a major political liability to the president. A political foe once asked Roosevelt, Why do you keep Hopkins so close to you? You surely realize that people distrust him and resent his influence. Roosevelt replied, Someday you may well be sitting here where I am now as President of the United States, and when you are, you'll be looking at the door over there and knowing that practically everybody who walks through it wants something out of you. You'll learn what a lonely job this is, and you'll discover the need for somebody like Harry Hopkins, who asks for nothing except to serve you. Winston Churchill rated Hopkins as one of the half-dozen most powerful men in the world in the early 1940s, and the sole source of Hopkins' power was his willingness to serve. Willingness to serve. Read an extensive uh, biographical write-up on him, and that literally just sums it up. <laughs> he was willing to serve President Roosevelt. He was willing just to drop everything and go be with him. And Roosevelt needed somebody like that who would literally give of his time to serve, to encourage, to be with the president during those times of great trial and stress. How are we in our willingness to serve others? How easily do we serve others? How easily do we set aside the things that, that we want to do, the priorities that we have, and just serve others? 
not something that we think too much about in our society, really. We live in a self-indulgent society where really we mostly figure that whatever we do better come back to serve us. <laughs> even when we're being altruistic too often, even when we are doing nice social service things too often. It's about what's in it for me, the feelings I get out of it, rather than what truly is meant by service, and that is self-sacrifice. How much are you willing to serve others without any benefit coming back to yourself? In uh, the biblical text, we read that God has called us to serve even as he served, self-sacrificially. At tremendous cost. We're supposed to serve like Yeshua served. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Looking again at Ephesians chapter 4, I want to first begin by really getting to the crux of the matter, and that is that when we come to believe in Yeshua, in the transformation that takes place, that spiritual, mystical transformation that takes place, is that God gives us supernatural ability to serve. He works in us and through us. I think he works in us and through our natural abilities, but he works in us and through us to give us this tremendous ability to play a role of service within the body of Messiah, within the community of believers. And then we're going to take a look at what it means to have leaders within a community, leadership positions, and uh, what that means for the body of Messiah in regards to service. So let's begin Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Page 1461 in the Congregational Tanakh. It says, Each one of us, however, has been given grace to be measured by the Messiah's bounty. This is why it says, After he went into the heights, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to mankind. Now this phrase, he went up, what could it mean if not that he first went down into the lower parts, that is, the earth? The one who went down is himself, the one who also went up far above all heaven in order to fill all things. Now, first thing we have to understand here, you know, every once in a while I run into somebody who basically says, I don't have any gifts and abilities. <laughs> Scripturally speaking, you have been endowed with spiritual gifts. You have been given by God special abilities to bless, encourage, and build up the body of Messiah. The community starting here, okay? This is your local community. This is your congregation. This is your physical manifestation, your little part of this huge body of Messiah that's scattered all over the world, composed of people from all over the world. But this is your community. And so specifically, God has blessed you with abilities and gifts to be a blessing here, first and foremost, all right? And so you may be here and you basically say, I don't have any special abilities. That's false. As I scan this room, I see every one of you has special abilities. And yes, some of you are very special. And you all have special abilities, unique abilities to do and be making differences here. All right? So don't ever sell yourself short. God has blessed each one of us with a special enablement, grace, as it says here in this text. Every one of us, each one of us, verse 7, has been given grace to be measured. All right? 
And that word grace there really is related to what I'm saying here. This special ability, this special spiritual, supernatural ability. So be encouraged with that. But right along with it, though, is the question of role. God doesn't give us abilities so that we can sit around and, and postulate the theoreticals of how we could do what we, we could do. He gives us special abilities so that we can take action and fill specific roles. All right? There is a role. There is a responsibility. There is a task God has for you to do. And you need to think about how you can indeed do that within first this community and then outside of it as, outside of it as well. Uh, looking over in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. It says, Now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. Also, there are different ways of serving, but it is the same Lord being served. And there are different modes of working, but it is the same God working them all in everyone. Moreover, to each person is given the particular manifestation of the Spirit that will be for the common good. All right, does that make sense? God don't make no junk. You know that? God don't make no junk. All right? God makes quality A, triple A grade material. <laughs> and that's us. We all have different gifts and abilities for the purpose of building up God's work in this world, His kingdom, building up His body, His community, His congregation. You have a role to fill. How are you filling that role? How are you filling that role? This local community of believers will not function optimally without your service. And I have to say, you will not grow in your relationship with God either unless you are willing to serve and use your unique special abilities within the community. Just, you can't grow. It's part of the growth process to be involved and to be using your gifts and abilities. I always say to people, you know, if you can, you know, if you can, as long as you can do 80% of the time the things that you really enjoy, you know, you can put up with the 20% of the times you have to do things you don't like. You know, on uh, last, uh, last Sunday I saw Robert, and I don't know if you liked it or not, but I saw Robert, probably because he was tall. Uh, my wife had him cleaning the light fixtures out there. And, you know, I mean, that's not an easy task. That's not a desirable task. You know, not sure what a desirable task would be. I was down here putting this tape down on the, uh, on the carpet. And I took that task because I cut myself multiple times on the nails. And I didn't want to get sued by anybody but me. So some tasks are not desirable. Maybe you think, if I'm going to serve God, I've got to do something I don't want to do. You should see how miserable these musicians are. Miserable. They crawl in. Oy vey. i got to do music again. You could tell their lack of enthusiasm, especially by that last song. <laughs> I'm being facetious. They appreciate, they, they really enjoy what they do. They enjoy what they do. <laughs> especially Esther, who's hiding back there. They really like what they do. 
that's that's because God has given them special abilities and they're utilizing those abilities. But you know, you know, sometimes they gotta do things they don't want to do. You know, again, there's different things that they have that, that, that goes along with just community life. But often what we do is we don't want to get involved because we're afraid we're going to have to do things we don't like. That might be part of it. Otherwise, we don't get involved because we're not really prioritizing community life. We're not willing to give time to being and to, to serving sacrificing things we might want to do in order to make a difference in the community with the special gifts and abilities God has given us. The result, though, is our own spiritual stunting. Stunting. You know? We're, we're, we're spiritually malnutrition. Uh, spiritually... Where's malnourished? Thank you, nurse in the corner. We're malnourished because we're not doing the things that God has laid out to help us to grow. Reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, being in community, sharing your faith, and serving are necessary for spiritual growth and development. And if you're reading your scriptures and you're spending time in prayer, but there isn't an area of responsibility of service that you have, it's going to inhibit your ability to grow. And at different stages of life, there's different areas of responsibility. God gives us all different interests. So the challenge would be, what are you interested in? What is it that you enjoy doing? What is it that, that, that God has really blessed you with in terms of an ability? You know, uh, people talk about spiritual gifts and everybody gets, get, you know, gets a little you know, hedgy about it because they're like, I don't know what I'm, my spiritual gift is. You know, I always like to say to people, what do you like to do? <laughs> what are you good at? Let's start with that. Norm Nowak comes in about every, once a week. I, I, I always look forward to knowing if he's coming in. Norm just spends a couple hours vacuuming all the carpet, Okay. I really appreciate that because it means I don't have to do it. Is it a special gift and an ability? Well, you know, it depends. If a person's a little OCD, you know, then it's great because they're like, you know, really focused. What are you good at? What do you like doing? I love washing dishes. I like actually carpet cleaning too, you know. Are you willing to serve, though? Are you willing to take from your... Are you willing to give your time? If you're not willing to serve in any way, then you're not using your special abilities, and you're not going to be able to grow spiritually. It goes together. It's critically important. All right? Next thing I want to emphasize here... <clears throat> is leadership. You know, God's given spiritual gifts to serve the community. You, you know, part of that is leadership. Now, some, I was talking to somebody earlier today who says, I really don't, I'm not a leader. It's like, leader, what is leadership? You know, is it for the loud and boisterous? No. Leadership is for the committed who see themselves as willing to get in front of people to do the work 
and saying to people, come join me. All right? That's it. People are different leaders. You know? But leadership is critical. Leadership is critical. Because leaders have to get out in front. Now, you know, part of the problem in getting out in front is people will shoot at you. Okay? This is true. I don't want to get in front. I want to be in the back because if there's a problem, I don't want to have to deal with it. Yeah, it's a pain. Being a leader is a pain. But you can't go anywhere if you don't have leaders. You know, uh, uh, I never was in the military. I was in an ROTC type program, so I never had to go through the live action stuff that they did in, uh, when they did boot camp and all the crazy insanity I've heard from friends of mine who went into boot But you know what? Leadership rises to the top. People in the military are always looking for people who will get out in front. And, 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 and you know, there's a lot of things that are necessary to understand in order for leadership to develop. One of it is you've got people that are willing to serve. You can't, you know, leaders are not just people that show up, you know, I don't know if, Alan, maybe you were like this. You went to the recruiter and you said, yes, I'd like to be general. I'd like to be general. Uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm putting in for general. The guy, yeah, sure, general. Here, sign right here. We're sending this dude to, like, Oklahoma. <laughs> you know, he's going to clean toilets for the rest of his time in the military. You know, but, you know, leadership develops because people are willing to serve. One of the reasons why there's a real problem with leadership within the believing community is people are not really sacrificially serving. Leaders develop from servants. So here we have in the biblical text, when you take a look, beginning in verse 11, these are positions, spiritual leadership positions of people that are servants, okay? So, and, uh, but these are important offices in order to, to equip and build up the body of Messiah, so take a look, verse 11, in Ephesians 4.11, it says, Furthermore, he gave, that means Messiah gave, some people as emissaries, some as prophets, some as proclaimers of the good news, and some as shepherds and teachers. Their task is to equip God's people for the work of service that builds the body of the Messiah. Until we all arrive at the unity implied by trusting and knowing the Son of God, at full manhood, at the standard of maturity set by the Messiah's perfection. All right. Here we see these individuals, four different individuals or positions. One is emissaries, okay, apostles in different translations, but these are shlechim, shlechim, sent ones, sent ones. You know, some people will say, well, these are the 12 apostles, you know, Yeshua's 12 disciples who become apostles, and maybe Paul. I say, no, 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 that's being too restrictive. These are individuals who hold a position in the body of Messiah where God specifically calls them out to do something different, something new. These are, in essence, ambassadors to establish new works. New works. Uh, you know, if you look at, I'm going to say church history, all right, but the, 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 the history of the believing, Messianic believing community through the years, there have been individuals, not many, frankly, but individuals who have gone out into places to do brand new things. Not too many days ago, we celebrated St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. And uh, the, 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 the sad reality is, is, is St. Patrick was not Irish. All right? 
he was, I think, Roman more than anything, okay? He was from a Roman family living in England, kidnapped by Irish people, those Irish people. And then he finally escapes, goes back to England, becomes a believer and says, you know what? I need to go back to those Irish people and tell them about Jesus, okay? Which is great. So from all that, Guinness comes, okay? But he goes back to Ireland, and there in Ireland, he preaches the gospel to a bunch of people who are not interested, but some people do, and, and people become believers. He blazes a trail. Hudson Taylor. I love to mention Hudson Taylor. You know, there had been uh, efforts to preach the gospel in China for years. In fact, there's a very good possibility that the gospel got to China by the end of the first century through Jewish tradespeople. Ha! That's something. All right, but... The bottom line is, is in about 1850 or 1860, something along those lines, Hudson Taylor felt a call of God to go to China. And so he went there. Now, a lot of people in China, there was workers along the coast, but he wanted to do something no one else was doing. He went into the, you know, into the inland areas of China where nobody was and to basically live like a Chinese person, and I don't know what all the proper terminology is, but live like a Chinaman, which is the way they would talk about it. Live like them, eat like them, dress like them, acculturate themselves to that people, and share the gospel with them. And, fascinating enough, but all those efforts are really what we, you know, the results of it is what we see today. Communists came in, and of course all the missionaries got kicked out, but because of Hudson Taylor's desire to do what no one else was willing to do, blaze a trail that no one else had blazed, the gospel message became very indigenous, just became part of the, the reality of, of, of Chinese people in the countryside. So when the communists came in, threw all the missionaries out, the gospel was already there. And out of nowhere, certainly not out of Western evangelicalism, Today we have 100 million or 150 million Chinese believers in Jesus. Hudson Taylor to me was an apostle. He was a shaliach, a person sent to do something absolutely new. It's a great uh, quote I have for, for this uh, little, little statement. It says, Do not follow where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. <laughs> Growing up in California... If you, if you, in certain parts of the West, you can still see wagon trail tracks in the ground. Someone had to blaze that trail, though. It was probably a trapper or a trader or a prospector who found a path, and then people just kept going. You know, if you don't have prospectors and trappers, if you don't have people willing to blaze a trail, you don't get any progress. Same is true in the believing community. Times change. New approaches are needed. Who's willing to blaze a trail where there didn't used to be one? Prophets, edifiers, preachers to challenge people to greater spiritual goals and to avoid spiritual complacency. People stone prophets. <laughs> or they burn them or they cut them in two. People tend to kill prophets. Why? Prophet isn't just telling the future. That's not what a prophet is. Well, you can tell the future, you're all going to be judged for your sin, you know? I can be very prophetic here today. If you do not save for retirement, you're going to be in trouble. Okay, I'm being prophetic. If you don't pay your taxes, you will eventually go to jail. 
If you don't follow God's instructions, you will have spiritual difficulties. All right. Being prophetic is telling people often what they don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about taxes. I don't want to think about having to save for retirement. But I do understand that the bottom line is, is yes, if I don't follow God's instructions, I'm going to have problems in my spiritual life. People tend to want to hear about the fact that God is love and God loves us, and this is very true. But there's also more. The office, the position of prophet, is, is really to preach and proclaim a hard message to individuals. There are not that many people who really focus on that. They don't. But it is a very important office for the purpose of equipping believers and challenging believers. Often it's people that can identify problems and speak to them. Proclaimers, really that's uh, evangelists, you know, apologists, people that, that project and proclaim in all kinds of different ways the message of Yeshua. You know, it's not just standing on a soapbox, it's thinking creatively, how do we get the word out? How do we get the word out? It's really an important thing. How many of us last week shared the truth of who Yeshua is with somebody, anybody? <laughs> it's not always on the, the front part of our lobe. We're not always thinking about how we can share our faith. We need to be reminded that we're supposed to do it, though. And we need to share. We need to do it. We need to witness. We need to talk to people. Otherwise, how are they going to hear? People that are, that are in this position are serving the community by challenging the believers to share their faith and they're facilitating to people to share their faith. They're coming up with ways for, for the congregation, the greater community to do it as well as doing it themselves. And then finally, shepherds, teachers, these are people that are overseeing the community, they're educators, the spiritual responsibility of making sure people are doing well. Often a congregational leader is functioning in a variety of these roles himself. But people within a congregation can also function in these roles in different ways. But nobody can function in any of these roles if they're not willing to serve. Does that make sense? I want to be Admiral of the Navy, but I'm not willing to swab a deck. Ain't going to happen. I want to be President of the United States, but I'm not really, really interested in running for my local office here in the city of Skokie. I don't want to be President. That's why I'm not running for anything. At least not President of the United States. But God has made it very clear there are offices and responsibilities that need to be filled. There are giftings and abilities that God has given us for the purpose of filling these roles. And it all starts, though, by being willing to serve. Now, spiritual leaders, spiritual leaders, you can see this on here. This is point 2B. Spiritual leaders must be spiritual servants. Matthew chapter 20 is, is Yeshua basically saying, I came to give my life as an example. I am a servant. Yeshua the Messiah came to serve. He is our model. He is our model. We have to serve like him in humility. But yet at the same time, we need to understand that, that there's an active role and responsibility we're supposed to serve and demonstrate our love for one another to encourage one another. 
But spiritual leaders must be willing to be active, intentional in the lives of people. Take a look at verse 14 and 15. It says, We will then no longer be infants tossed about by the waves and blown about by every wind of the teaching at the mercy of the people, clever in devising ways to deceive. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in every respect grow up into him who is the head, the Messiah. Two points. Spiritual leaders have to be spiritual servants. But the intention of their servanthood is to, one, warn people of bad doctrine. It's funny, uh, Gary and I were standing in the back and a woman popped her head in and she wanted to come and be a part of our congregation. And Gary and I, I'm, of course me, I'm probing, asking questions. Turns out she's part of a theologically deviant group. And I said, this isn't for you. Why? Well, I mean, part of a spiritual leader's responsibility is to care for the flock. And we were, again, Gary and I were both talking about it. This is the sort of person that comes into a community and talks to people and starts to propagate their theology. There's a lot of bad theology in the Messianic Jewish movement. Every once in a while, someone will come and, you know, just every once in a while, but there is some really crazy stuff. There are people that teach that all Jews and Gentiles should keep the Torah, that there is no distinction between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to Torah or lifestyle or anything else. These are people living generally usually in Idaho and Montana, North and South Dakota, but they look like they're from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> they wear seat seat and long, you know, beards and payas, and they all talk in shtetl Yiddish. But their last names are Johansson and Smith. But they believe that God has saved them to become spiritual Jews, and so they take on all that physical paraphernalia and it's all part of a really bad theology and we don't put up with that here because it's bad theology there are people not too many today but there are people that don't believe in the deity of Yeshua they do not believe that Jesus is God and uh, that's, a, that's a theological position that every once in a while pops up within our messianic Jewish world and we take a strong stand on that Yeshua is God I'm not going to stand here and explain it all to you because it's beyond my comprehension, but Yeshua is God. That is what the biblical text teaches, and that's what we believe. And we take a strong stand against those who would say otherwise. According to verse 14, it is a spiritual leader's responsibility to stand up for sound doctrine, to encourage the community toward a proper understanding of the biblical text. Second, though, is in verse 15, it's a spiritual leader's responsibility to make Talmudim. If you're not making disciples, then you're really not being an effective spiritual leader. All right? Now, what's wonderful is that each one of you, you may say, well, that's great. That's your job, my job, my job. Every one of us has a responsibility, though, to encourage one another toward a deeper relationship with God. You're never too young, unless you're really, really young, and you're certainly never too old, unless there's other problems, to intentionally be spiritually encouraging those around you toward a, Messiah, a more and more Messiah-like life. We're all to be making Talmudim. But it's critically important that people, especially people in these categories up above these positions, are intentionally doing it. Because their job isn't to do these things alone. 
whether it's preaching or teaching or proclaiming or blazing a trail, their job is to raise up others who will do the same thing. Shaul says in the book of uh, 2 Timothy, says, find faithful people who <laughs> will train others also. You know, make disciples who will make disciples. Again, a problem I, I think often within our American believing community at large and certainly within our Messianic Jewish world is the lack of disciple making. Are we truly making Talmudim? But then if people aren't willing to be servants, then it's really tough to make Talmudim. Disciples come from people who serve, who want to serve, who want to use their gifts and abilities, who understand that, that God has blessed them and transformed them and equipped them to make a difference. So we have to keep that in mind. One other thing that's critically important in all this we see in verse 16, it says, Under his control, the whole body is being fitted and held together by the support of every joint, with each part working to fulfill its function. This is how the body grows and builds itself up, it builds itself up in love. Uh, many years ago, I used to read the, wall, the U.S. News and World Report. Some of you who have known me a long time will know I was a religious reader of the U.S. News and World Report until the Internet put him out of business. So I want to thank all of you who went to online publications because you destroyed my reading habit, which I've now replaced with the Wall Street Journal. In this age, this is from the uh, U.S. World News and World Report, in this age of self, or the fellow who wrote this is Catholic, by the way, in this age of self, the language is filled with phrases that glorify personal choice above all other values. Self-determination, self-knowledge, self-esteem, self-help, even do it yourself. In this climate, no doctrine is safe, no dictate accepted without scrutiny. The touchstone of belief today is the individual not the institution. Priests, like precinct captains, have lost authority. The same voters who talk back to their political leaders on call-in shows and town meetings are talking back to their religious leaders at parish council meetings and communion breakfasts. While 85% of American Catholics look up to the Pope as a moral leader, four out of five say they follow their own conscience rather than papal authority. On moral questions, the phrase cafeteria Catholics describes those who pick and choose among church teachings. But in religion, as in politics, the more appropriate analogy for modern mores is to fast food rather than to cafeteria. As the slogan for one hamburger chain puts it, have it your way at Burger King. <laughs> now, how do leaders lead? when followers don't want to be led. That's the problem today. How do leaders lead when followers don't want to be led? The biblical text is set up with a structure. God is God, and when he speaks, everybody's supposed to listen. A little more than E.F. Hutton, if you remember that old commercial. When God speaks, people are supposed to listen and obey and God appoints leaders he raises up leaders from everybody who has come to follow him using their abilities and their job is to raise up others but there's a chain of leadership why? God is orderly and success in life demands leadership starting in the home and then from the home into the community 
and without people willing to lead, but actually without people willing to recognize God's program and follow and serve, leaders will never rise. Because leaders are those who are the servants of all. God's leaders are servants who through time and proven uh, efforts in terms of following God rise up and are recognized. But none of it will happen if people are not willing to serve. If people are not willing to follow leadership, spiritual leadership. And ultimately it's all because if people are not willing to follow God. So this morning, my challenge for you as I conclude all this is how are you serving? How are you simply serving in the community? What's your attitude of service here? Doesn't have to be complex. I'm not talking, you know, are you you know, spending 30 hours a week, you know, in prayer and meditation here on the floor of the sanctuary. What is your attitude of service here in this community? Do you come and willingly serve in whatever way? <clears throat> How are you actually identifying things you enjoy? <laughs> and you're doing those things willingly? And then every once in a while coming and cleaning lights or vacuuming the floor or, or whatever, you know, fixing the sound system, <laughs> you know. Things that, no, I know. Are you, what are you doing that you enjoy and how are you serving? And what is your attitude of service? If you're not willing to do that, then we're not going to have leadership developed within our community. We're not going to go anywhere. And by the way, you're not going to grow in your own personal relationship with God. I'd like to point out that, again, our Messiah sacrificed himself on our behalf. Every day calls us to sa God calls us to sacrifice ourselves on his behalf. Let's live lives of sacrificial service within this community and then ultimately in different ways, I'm sure, outside this community so that we grow in our relationship with God. Our gifts and abilities that God has given us are used for the glory of God. And ultimately, people are blessed and will, I think, come to faith because of our willingness to serve. That's how it all works. It all works together in this lovely synergy. This guy, uh, Harry Hopkins, you know, uh, ultimately uh, said no. He, something was happening in his life, and he said no to Roosevelt, and he wouldn't go see him, and Roosevelt got ticked off. <laughs> and that was the end of their relationship. It occurred toward the end of the Second World War, where Roosevelt was really demanding too much out of Harry Hopkins. God will never demand more out of you than you can give. He will never demand more out of you than you really can, can provide. And there's nothing he's going to demand out of you that will destroy your life. Believe me. There are things God may ask you to do, commitments he might want you to make that will stretch you, but that's only because they will grow you, not harm you. The Lord our God has gifted us for service. Let's let him use us willingly. All right? Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. I thank you, God, that you have given us gifts and abilities in different ways that you have raised us up, God, saving us, changing us for your service. God, help us to be teachable learners. Help us to be humble before you and humble before others. 
Help us, God, to be willing to serve and to follow so that we might be able to serve you by leading others and serving others. God, again, we thank you for this community and this miracle of of bringing us all together. And I pray, God, that you would be glorified in us and through us and find us useful, God, for the building up of your kingdom. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.